0: so many people are going to tell you that you can't do it but we're here to tell you that you definitely can right let's do a podcast hey rebels welcome back welcome back team i hope you guys are having uh, an incredible week and you're being super deep productive and getting shit done so i think one thing when it comes to productivity and getting more shit done yeah is the power of habits yeah and uh i also i recommended a book to you at um the beginning of the year mm-hmm. atomic habits by james clear yeah and you're uh you're knee deep in that right now
1: yeah currently going through that it's one of the best books i've ever like listened to because i listen to it on audiobooks um just super interesting there's so much in there that's like i'm like fuck that's super super good One thing that it talks about is habit stacking, which I think is a really clever way to do things. habit stacking for people who don't know is basically a, a routine of things you do in a certain order. So for example, you'll get out of bed in the morning, then you'll go and make a coffee, then you'll go and have a shower, then you'll brush your hair. Like Those things that you do automatically without even thinking about it. If you want to add something to make yourself a bit more productive, add it into a current stack that you currently have. So for example, if you wanted to write 500 words in the morning, then write down somewhere that after you do one of the things on your stack,
0: do that. Yeah. So as soon as you've got your coffee, that's when you open your laptop and then you see the blank page and then you know it's like, okay, coffee's here, blank page is here. Yeah. And then, and I think for a lot of habits, it's um, rather than saying, I'm going to start off with 500 words. It's like, I'm going to write a sentence. Yeah. Yeah. And just starting with those small, easy things like, I'm going to do one push-up.
1: Yeah, because the hardest thing is just doing that first one. Like If you said to yourself, tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up and do a thousand push-ups, you're going to wake up and probably think, I can't really be bothered to do a thousand push-ups. But if you said, I'm just going to do one push-up, then when you're down there, you're like, I could probably do a few more now.
0: Yeah, it's very true. I think my biggest takeaway from that book was that it's it's okay to let yourself off the hook. So if you don't go to the gym and you said I'm going to go to the gym every day or every other day and then you have one day where you wake up and you feel like shit and you don't go to the gym it's okay to not beat yourself up but don't let that then spiral I think I think in the books he talks about not doing it twice yeah so that's that's the rule I've kind of adopted into my life now is that I I never miss twice Mm -hmm. because yeah because then that's when so I'll let myself if I miss one day at the gym I'm like okay missed a day that's fine but then when it comes to the next day no matter how like um, how much I don't want to go i yeah. know that it's the the worst thing i can possibly do is to leave, leave it go twice cuz twice turns into three times which turns yeah. into forever and I think a good way to keep up with habits as well
1: is to make it as easy as possible. Like, if you want to write 500 words on your laptop in the morning, make sure before you go to bed the night before, your laptop's exactly where it needs to be. It's got word open if you're writing on Word. It's it basically as easy as possible for you to pick up that coffee and then just start. Because if you have to find your laptop, plug it in, turn it on, wait for it to boot up, load your software, and that takes 10 minutes, then it's yeah, just going
0: to... that's the thing I've... I've um seen written before i don't think it's necessarily in that book but the the levels of resistance before something is what makes it really really hard to do Mm -hmm. so if i'm painting a canvas what i'll do before i want to paint a canvas i will prep like three different canvases so as in i'll like emulsion them sand them down get them completely ready and then when it comes to painting because normally when i when inspiration hits and i'm like i really want to paint a canvas i've then got a get i mean sometimes i'll stretch my own canvas so i'll have to do all of that work then then emulsion it and the the, there's too many steps Mm -hmm. so i just don't do it whereas if they're ready to go i can just i can literally just pull out one of these canvases that are pre-prepared there's no resistance it's like leaving your gym clothes out in the morning you don't have to search around for your sneakers because they're right there yeah i think on the flip side of that
1: as well making things you don't want to do harder purposely like I think in the book he talks about if your aim is to not watch as much T V, take the T V out and put it in a cupboard. And then every time you want to watch it, if you have to go get the TV out of the cupboard, put it on, set it up, then it's gonna make you only watch it if you really, really want to watch it.
0: I've I've written about this on the blog before, but about your future self mm-hmm. and how we all have a future self and we're so optimistic and enthusiastic about our future selves behavior yeah so like, like you're going to bed and you're like tomorrow's the day i'm definitely gonna start writing my book or whatever yeah. it is and then when you wake up that next day you're just like oh i'm an idiot i'm no
1: i'm not yeah. gonna do that i think um one thing i really took from it is just the mindset side of things so he talks about when you when you're quitting smoking and someone offers you a cigarette and you, you say no i'm trying to quit but that's the wrong mindset to have. You need to say, "No, I'm not a smoker," because in your mind that says that you are a smoker, and you're still, but you're trying to not be. Ooh, Whereas if that's you, powerful. yeah, if you just say to yourself, "I'm not a smoker," I don't do that. This is what I do. This is who I am.
0: Oh, it's that neuro- neuroscience stuff, yeah. man. That I love that stuff. In fact, it's like that conversation we had we had the other day where um, we were going through comments on a post um, and someone was saying, oh, I'm hoping to start my podcast soon. Yeah. And we kind of thought like, if you ever write, I'm hoping to, that basically means you're probably never going to do it because you're already letting yourself off the hook. Yeah. You're not saying I'm definitely going to do it. So there's no accountability because you just said, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, to. hoping to. Yeah, yeah <laughs> maybe I will. Maybe I won't. Uh, you can't hold me to it. Yeah. And it's like having those definite things and language language, as as relates to your brain and neuroscience is so important of of like actually committing to things mm. yeah it's it's making things as easy for yourself as possible isn't it and finding out what what works for you and being realistic so you're not going to like most people aren't going to have time to read a whole book yeah every day but you could read a chapter mm-hmm. or you could just read a paragraph before you go to bed yeah
1: and i think it's yeah that realism of giving yourself the goal that's achievable to start with don't be like i'm going to read a book every week if you only have two hours a week to actually sit and read just say to yourself i'm going to read a paragraph a week or something and then you will actually do more than that just by getting started
0: yeah, it comes down to to finding a proper balance, doesn't it? And I think that's that's something we talk about in this week's episode with with Paul Elliott is like for him, we, we get up super early and we've talked about that on the on the podcast before. Um but for him that that just doesn't work and yeah. he's fine with that. Yeah, and I think final works for you and go from there. hundred percent. So I loved this week's episode. I you, thought this was amazing. This is someone who you spent a lot of your life with.
1: And I think it was really nice to hear from my side of things as well, all the stories that you guys got up to and
0: how you met and all that kind of thing. Yeah, ridiculous times I've spent with this man. But um, but yeah, so Paul Elliott is a filmmaker, he's a musician, a DJ and an artist as well as being a good friend of ours. This episode, I, I think people are going to find this episode so useful. There's loads of advice and tactics in there from finding the best time of day for your creativity to which crowdfunding platform to use. Paul's films are all self-financed and they've led him on some like really incredible adventures like literally traveling all over the world and even interviewing Paul McCartney. We talk a lot about our uh, teenage years, the things we got up to, the journeys we've um, taken to get us up to where we are now and how it's worked out with our vows of never ever getting a proper job.
1: In this episode we talk about wasting time, self-funding your projects and the pursuit of happiness
2: just try and be happy, Try, you know, it do, doesn't matter what it is, it's that stamp collecting thing, if that makes you happy then that's fine, not that I know anything about stamp collecting, and I'm sure you don't either.
0: We're joined today by Mr. Paul Elliott, I listened to you, uh, you were guesting on a, on a radio station recently and you described yourself as a filmmaker and musician. But you're much more than that, to me anyway, because you're the, you're the person who taught me how to paint. And so I always say sort of without, without you, there'd be no Graffiti Life, there'd be no company, there'd be no me and Adam painting walls. We wouldn't be here now. Yeah, if yeah. it wasn't for you, because just through a chance meeting, you started to teach me how to paint.
2: Well, look, you'd still be doing something. So this is not all down to me. I may have showed you how to use spray paint and and sort of put something together with paint. But... You know, it would have found a way out somehow. So, you think creative people are always going to find a path to do something? Uh, I think if they're not lazy. I think a lot of creative people are lazy, mm-hmm. and I think you have to you have to straddle this fine line between being creative and being really motivated, which I don't think a lot of people have. I and think that's how you stay motivated because you're because you're doing so
0: much. So you are a filmmaker, you are a musician, you are an artist. You're you've got a kid.
2: You're doing a lot of stuff. How do I stay motivated? Good question. I just am. I don't know. I've always been... Ever since I was a kid, I I like drawing. So I used to draw. I got into music. My dad was a musician. My granddad was a musician. And and he was involved in film. And So there's always been this kind of like, you can do what you want to do kind of situation with the people around me. And you're passionate about what you do. It's easier to get motivated if you care. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was like, why work for somebody else? Why do their
0: see yeah. this is the other thing and and again i credit you for the podcast wouldn't exist because many years ago you said something to me and i like i used to look up to you i can tell you now i suppose without being embarrassed like i used to look up to you I used to think you were cool and um i remember you That's said to me, i am david <laughs> <laughs> i remember you said to me we we're we were at my mum's house as so often we were before we went out vandalizing things and i remember you said to me i'm never getting a proper job and I was like, that's cool. I don't ever want to get a proper job. I want to be like, Paul, I'm never getting a proper job either. And literally, from that moment on, we must have been like 17, 18. You said that to me. And then from my, from my mindset from then on was I'm never getting a proper job. And
2: I never have. I tried a proper job. I'm not going to sort of sit here and pretend that I haven't been down that route. I just hated it. I didn't get anything from that proper job that I got from doing my own thing. Other than money? <sighs> well... I mean, look, money comes and goes and you can do things that are creative and you can do your own thing and you can earn money. But I don't think that people that do their own thing are particularly motivated by money. They're motivated by, I mean, it sounds so cheesy, it? They're motivated by creating but, things. Yeah. And I think you've got to be, you've got to be motivated. You've got to be determined and you've got to have some confidence in yourself and a vision in what you're doing and believe that what you're doing is, is more than just a job. Everything I do is not... I don't get up in the morning and think, oh, right, I've got to go and do this and I've got to... Go. Well, actually, I do. That's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not thinking about it in the same way that people go and work in a factory think about their mm. their job. Or I don't think... You never clock watching, I suppose. Well, I am because I've got so many things that I have to do Yeah, yeah and but we'll probably get to that. But yeah. everything that I do, I really enjoy doing. And so I'll find time and I'll make time to do everything. So I probably work far more in terms of time per week than somebody with a normal job but and my Saturday night isn't like somebody else's Saturday night I'll I'll probably be probably be working I'll probably be answering emails that I haven't been able to do on a Monday or on a Tuesday or or, or, you know and doing the sort of jobs that that people do in a nine to five I'll be doing those throughout the week
0: I think when you say when you say I don't have time All we have is time. It's what you're saying is this is not
2: a priority to me. Well, no, I don't think all we have is time. I think time is wasted big time, and I think that's if I look back and I was thinking about coming in and talking to you guys. Yeah. And I think the biggest mistake that I made was wasting time, and I've wasted so much time. In I, you know, I've known you for twenty years nearly, and in that time, I think about what I've done and I've 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 not done anywhere near as much as I thought I would have done, and I've not done anything really that I want to do. And I've done quite a lot, you know. I, you sort of look back at what I have done, and I think, oh, that's great, and that's great. And I met that person, and I went there, and I did this, but I still haven't got to half the things that I want to do. I think that just that's
0: just because you're insanely driven. And, yeah, maybe. And you're not you're not settling for for what you've done. I think a lot of us have that in us where whenever we achieve a goal it's on to the, it's on to the next thing because the, the last thing I would think of if I thought of you was lazy I mean we, we used to we were so obsessed with painting when we were kids that we would literally meet you'd be outside my house at 3am in the morning phoning me waking me up out of bed <laughs> I used to throw
2: stones <laughs> at, his window, at his window I used to, I used to jump over the, the, the back garden uh, fence yeah. and I used to throw stones at him, and he wouldn't wake up and I'd be cursing him <laughs> phoning him like 20 times texting him <laughs> <laughs> I got her in the end. Yeah. But yeah, I think that was because we were so
0: passionate about what we were doing. Although we happened to be painting in places that we weren't necessarily supposed to be painting, we were so passionate about what we were doing and we didn't. We didn't look at ourselves as vandals, really. I don't think I did No, I never did. I thought we were we were just creating, and we just felt that the rules were wrong, and that we should be allowed to
2: make work when we were making. I mean, we were young, and I mean, I never even thought about rules. I never, I never thought that any of the graffiti that I did was was ever vandalism or, or ever something that other people wouldn't like. Yeah. You know, we weren't particularly going around writing our names all over people's. Property, You know, we were doing it in sort of, well, we were because we it on the side of tracks and things, but we weren't doing it on people's houses or in on businesses and things like that. We weren't like that. And so and we weren't really tagging. So we were making pieces. We were making bits of art. And I, so I never saw that as being vandalism or, or, or something that I shouldn't be doing, even though I had climbed over a wall or a fence or something. I never thought that I always thought that somebody would see it and see some sort of merit in it. Mm-hmm.
0: And I mean, you were you were obsessed with graffiti from sort of 10 years old, weren't you? Maybe younger.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, I used to get the train up to London with, with my dad. I remember my dad lost his driving license. And so we'd go and visit, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> we used to go and visit some family and so we'd have to get the train. So I uh, maybe it was 11. When did you start secondary school? 11. Yeah. So that was, it was about around that time. And so we'd, we'd get the train up and we'd be in London every week and I'd just be looking out the, the train window and then some guys that were a bit older than me at, at school, they they were painting already, they were doing stuff and they showed me subway art and then I never went to a PE class after that because, <laughs> because subway art and, and spray can art books were in the library at the school. So I've just made excuses every PE lesson because so I thought, oh, I don't want to go out and play football for. I can sit in there and copy the the graffiti out of these books. Yeah. So I ended up sketching that stuff and then eventually... I don't know how I started painting, but I was always into art. So it, yeah. it just came sort of, it was like a natural thing to do. It makes you think of what that librarian was like. Oh, they didn't care. They didn't no, care. No, but I like mean, to get, quite, just to get that book in. Yeah. Well, I think they were just happy that, that somebody was in there sort of reading. Or I wasn't reading a book, but yes. actually using the books in there. So I think they were, they were happy. The PE teacher wasn't happy, but yeah.
0: yeah. And it was like, so it was a total obsession. And for both of us, I mean, we, we were so graffiti was everything to us it was all we were thinking about and doing 24 7 unless we were trying to get money working like part-time jobs in order to get money to buy paint to go out again that was that was our lives for probably about eight or nine years yeah yeah i think
2: i think that that in that time i was djing a lot maybe before i met you i was djing i was doing maybe three or four nights a week djing and I'd had, by the time I'd met, it must have been before i met you, because I think by the time I'd met you, I'd had enough of being in nightclubs. And so I'd done that whole nightclub thing before I was allowed to go into nightclubs. Mm. So when everybody else that I knew was that age going to clubs, I was like, nah, forget that. And so we'd go out we'd painting. would go out painting,
0: yeah. And then you just fell out of love with it.
2: Yeah. yeah. I had enough of it. I think, and again, thinking back of, on things that I've done yeah. today before I came here, There is a trend of I get so far with something and something piques my interest that is related to that, Mm -hmm. you know, but I've gone so far and I can't continue to do the same thing. Very similar to you.
1: Yeah, I think I'm very similar to that. Like something kind of piques interest. So you get fully into it, learn everything about it, go deep in it. And then you're like, well, I've mastered this now. Or I've got good enough that it's going to take me years to get a bit better. So... What else is out there? And you spot something else and just go for that. And it's that constant progression of, oh, there's this new new thing here. Let's learn about that. That's done. Now learn about this. And you get such a broad skill set from learning all of these different things that you can quite often apply to the other things. To the other things, exactly. And then learn the other things quicker because of the what you've learned in that set. Yeah. And it's just kind of like a skill set. which just builds and builds and builds.
2: And I think that's probably the other reason why I've done so many things. Mm. For work because I've got lots of different interests. They're all mainly based based around music. The only thing that, that sort of deviates from music is painting. But I've learned so many little skills and little things that I can use in other areas that I work on. It seems silly for me to do one thing. Why Why am I gonna yeah. Why am I gonna stick to one thing for forty years? I might as well become an accountant because <laughs> yeah. it's is, it is you know it's a, it becomes a day job. Yeah, and when it becomes a day job, it's less
0: interesting. And you, you kind of realized, oh, I can do basically whatever I'm interested in. I can turn that into a job.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why not? I mean, it, it seems silly not to, not to think that you can mm. turn anything into a job. Sometimes they don't pay so well. And sometimes you have to do those other things that you've picked up skills doing yeah. in order to earn money.
0: And one of the questions I'm asked so often is sort of how do you find your passion? Because a lot of people know that they don't want to do the job that they're currently doing, but they don't know how to go and find something new and it's it's literally that it's find something that piques your interest and then investigate further into yeah, it yeah I think with that not enough people try things like
1: if you don't know what your passion is go out and try lots of different things and then one thing will be like actually that's banging I want to keep doing that and then just follow that for a bit and see where it takes you because by doing that you might then find something else that you're interested in and yeah 10 years on you've
2: gone through 3 or 4 different passions that you've kind of like hopped around and but I don't think it's important for everybody to be able to do something that they like and earn money from it. I don't think everybody can. You can find something you're passionate about, and that's a great hobby, and that's fine. It feels like there might be a bit of a, a pressure yeah. not to do a nine to five and try and do something else, because mm-hmm. you see these people on YouTube or where they're, you know, they're doing makeup things and they're earning a fortune because they're showing people about the latest. You know, not everyone's going to be able to do that, and not everybody should be able to do that. If you find something that you you're interested in and it becomes a really cool thing to do in your spare time then why not carry on doing that it doesn't you know you don't have to earn money out of it. if you earn money then it's a bonus
0: yeah I, as, as soon as you earn money from it it becomes something different mm. and so when you fell out of of love with graffiti that was the point where i guess i did two to a degree and that's when it turned into the business and and i'm painting for a very different reason equally fell in love with sort of having a business and growing a business and that sort of thing so It definitely did evolve. But I think anyone who's listening to this podcast, I think,
2: I, I totally get what you're saying about not everyone needs to do what they love. I think everyone needs to do what they love. And I think that's why so many people on a Friday and Saturday night get absolutely pissed up and have a fight and aren't happy with their misses at home or whatever it is. And it's because they don't, they haven't found what they love. But I think the difference is some people won't be able to translate what they love into earning a living, and I don't think that that's necessarily important either. I think if you find something that you love, doesn't matter what if it's stamp collecting, doesn't matter what it is. If you enjoy doing that, you should do that because it's going to alleviate other things, other stress, other pressures that you've got. Yeah, I th- it just so happens that, that there's a lot of people that can translate that by having the motivation and the drive into something else, which becomes earning a living. I think there's enough stamp
0: collectors out there that you can turn stamp collecting into bringing you in enough to survive on i think i I literally think anyone because i think the sheer numbers game it's like when you get on a tube and you and i i look at people and they're playing candy crush on their phone it's like i know that they're never going to be unlocked from the matrix they're always going to like there's a certain subset of people who are clued into the fact because they're listening to this podcast for example well yeah they're clued into the fact that actually, maybe I don't have to do a job that I hate 24-7. Mm. But I think, in and so there's enough room for those people who've clocked into that, that they they are going to be able to do it. Whereas when we look at the population as a whole, I mean, most people in general are, are not because they're bought into the school and the doctrine of, of this is how life is. You go to work, you get a job, you get a promotion, you buy shit you don't need, you... Yeah. Cause like with the
1: stamp collecting thing, if you're kind of that way inclined, you could start a Facebook group. <laughs> you could start, you could start a Facebook group that then kind of start a community around that and then start hosting kind of get togethers and then hold big kind of conventions and it can kind of go that way. But yeah, as you said, there are only certain people will go down that route, yeah. because in terms of all of us stamp collectors, if they all try to do that, there's not the exactly. room for that. Yeah,
2: exactly. So it does take it does take that determination and that that drive and that and the and the willing to be a bit uncomfortable, I think. And that's another thing that probably puts people off doing something that they want to do. It, it, it's the fact that you can't be lazy. You can't be. You've got to be uncomfortable. You've got to try and push yourself and do do things that are going to be hard, and you probably aren't going to earn any money for a while. And even if you do earn some money, it might be rubbish for a while. You know, so, I mean, there's there's, there's, there's loads of pros and cons to it, but the biggest thing really is, is not money. The biggest thing is not earning... Everyone's got to earn a living and everyone's got to live and everyone's got to put food on the table and, yeah. and has responsibilities. But the the important thing is to try and be happy and try and be less stressed. And I think that's what I tr- try and do. I try and... Obviously, everyone gets stressed. I get stressed. Things don't go right but if you can take away some of the elements that are going to make you stressed, like having a job that you hate, then or getting up and going to work at nine o'clock, I can't work in the morning. I you know it's, it, yeah. I just don't work in the morning. I don't work. My natural time to start work is eleven o'clock. Mm-hmm. Anything before that, do you work late into the evenings? So? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, what I've, I've got recently, I've I've got into doing eleven till six. So it's not a particularly long day. But then I get home and and. Hang that's the thing if it's not a particularly long day but
0: it's how you fill that time isn't it well that's it and, it's and like it's if not- you're working an eight-hour day but like you're on youtube and then you're chatting with your mates and that and then you're texting someone and like i i deleted whatsapp i think it's such a time warp like you just you can just lose time in there and it's getting rid of that stuff if you if you spend your uh what's it, 11 till 11 till 7 11
2: hours yeah Well, so so, so 11 to 6 so most days I'm in my studio so I'll get in at 11 or or they're about half 10, 11 or something I very rarely book anything in earlier than 10 so some sessions start at 10, half 10 but mainly if I'm working on my own 11 and then I won't have a lunch break so I'll eat while I'm working Mm -hmm. and I'll just go right the way through I'll go home see my family hang out for a bit and then I'll probably do some more work in the evening from home but then like I say I'll probably work a Saturday or I'll probably be doing something on Sunday that's work related but it doesn't feel like it's work so much because it's you know I might be covering someone's radio show like say or I might be going to a screening or something which takes time so there is work but it's kind of like again I think the other thing I'm probably not answering any of these questions correctly but I think (laughs) the other thing for me as well is that I've never been one of these guys that goes to the pub I've never been a dude that just hangs out and just talks about football or what's happening in the news I never do that so all my social encounters revolve around work because I work as filmmaker so I'm in you know I'm, I'm talking to interesting people possibly working with somebody that is really interesting or, yeah. or that, that, that I want to kind of get some info from and talk to so we are kind of talk while we're doing that or I'm in a recording studio and I'm either working on my own remotely so I'm recording sessions for people or I'm working in a studio with other musicians so I'm getting something out of that that I wouldn't get if you know if I was down the pub. Yeah, I and think then, that's why you know, we always got I, on so well. Yeah, and I think and I think this that's that's it takes a certain sort of person as well to to work on their own and not have that kind of normal social life. Mm-hmm. I'm not adverse to working with people, of course, but I think the drive also comes from being able just to get on with stuff. I don't know whether I've answered any of those questions. There's no right i'm going answer. i'm going off on a tangent a little bit um, look, i think
0: i think it's i think the main goal of this podcast is for people to listen to it see what other people have done and see what there is in those stories that they can apply to their own life and you're having fun you're doing shit that you care about that, that you enjoy so that's that's a win so your way of doing it is your way of doing it some people might really relate to that some people might be like well i'm up at 6am so so that doesn't oh there's nothing wrong with that though yeah, i yeah, mean that's I, it there's, there's nothing wrong with any way of like, so I listened to,
2: to, to you guys talking and you were saying that you, you, you get up at six and you start working, you know, like the, before you come into work here, you, you've already had two yeah. hours or something. And man, if I could do that, I'd do that. But my sort of natural time is way later in the day. Yeah. So I can go later, whereas I can do that 6am thing for maybe two days and then I've just got a headache. Yeah. And I think, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah, See, I'm I in bed at 10, so yeah. I, I can't. I can't stay up till... See, work. I wake up at 10. Like 10 is a really good time for me to, to work. And that's when I've got the best ideas and when I can do the best things. It's like 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night is really good for me. That's like a really cool time. And maybe that's to do with there not being so many distractions from, I think, yeah, that's from work where, and stuff.
1: that's where the morning benefits us, again, because there's no distractions in that part of the morning. Whereas in the evening there's tons of distractions around our lives. So it's easy to have that free time in the morning. Whereas when I was at uni, it was the opposite way around. I'd be like, I'd get up at lunchtime or whatever. Um, but then I'd work until like 4am because I just have a session between it's probably 11 when people start to go to bed and then 4am when I go to bed, It's silent, everything outside is quiet and you just got that peace. And I think having that kind of deep work is so, it's
2: like so beneficial. Mm. But going back to what you said earlier as well, I didn't fall out with of of love with graffiti. I just got fed up with two factors, and the two factors were people moaning and complaining, and the second one was I don't even know what the second one was. In fact, I've forgotten what it was. So actually, the main reason was that it was just a bit a bit sort of moany, and I just thought, what's the point in being around a load of these negative people? I mean, not you. You, you know, me and you were. We were fine. We used to spend most of the time painting together anyway yeah. and sort of avoiding any of those moaning people. But I think when you're surrounded by people that are always complaining or always moaning and always kind of like having a gripe, it, it's just, it's like, draining. Man, let's yeah. just find something else that's fun. Well, that yeah. was,
0: it was before really sort of Instagram and, and social media. I mean, we used to use Photolog. Probably no yeah. one even ever never heard, heard of, that. of that. Yeah, we used to, it was the early Instagram, we used to use Photolog. And, there wasn't really a sort of online thing. So you, there was a very just small circle of, of a London graffiti community because what the internet did was blew it up. So that so many more people started painting um, graffiti and street mm-hmm. art. And that's when everything completely changed. And I, it's such a different landscape now. And, and there's a lot of people who are really positive and there's not, but I think any subculture, there's always moaning and bitchiness and backbiting it. I mean, you, you, get it in embroidery you'll get it in whatever football you yeah. get it in everything there's always people because when you put a bunch of
2: people together some people are going to moan about things mm. but that's when i think that's the time if you've had enough of it and you've kind of reached the point where you're not progressing anymore
0: well, because was it wasn't it?
2: because you've got so far and you've done I'm not the greatest artist by any stretch of the imagination but when i had achieved what, what i wanted to achieve with that I could have carried on painting the same over and over and over again. Mm. And I could have, you know, joined you guys and, and painted things for a living. But yeah. there's this drawer somewhere else. And that, for me, the drawer is always music, really. And that was scary for me as well, because
0: um, setting up Graffiti Life, I'd, I'd always painted with you and you taught me how to paint. So then I just had to go out on my own. And that was quite a, a scary moment for me.
2: Yeah, but you, I mean, I might have taught you how to paint, but you painted all your own things. Some people didn't believe that at the time, but, <laughs> but, no, but, you, you, but you did, you know, so, so it's just somebody teaching you how to do something. Then you go off and do it yourself. Probably was scary for you because you had that, that thing that I mentioned about being uncomfortable. It was just an uncomfortable situation. You weren't used to it. Do you remember how we met? I do remember how we met. Yeah, we met on a, on a coach going to Amsterdam and you weren't very well. And, <laughs> and the people that, that, that I was supposed to be staying with in this hotel we realized that there wasn't enough beds for all four of us. There was only three beds. So I got lumbered with you (laughs) and you, and you were feeling ill. And I thought, Oh God, I've got to stay with this guy. I'm stuck with this guy. And then we, he said, Oh, what are you doing here? I said, Oh, I'm going to go and buy a load of spray paint because it's really cheap in Amsterdam. And I'm going to go and have a look at some graffiti stuff and I might paint. And he goes, Oh, I'll come with you. And that was that. And, And we went to this weird market in Amsterdam and I, I, yeah, I spent all my money. got a totally money.
0: different story. I've got
2: <laughs> yeah. my, I spent all my money on spray paint in this, this big, big thing. And then yeah. lucked, we went to, we got on the tram and went to a place. Flavor Park. Flavor Park. Out in the, I don't even know where that was. And uh, I don't even think we painted. I don't think I painted. We just looked at the just stuff. We did didn't we? And then got the tram back and I carried this big bag of spray paint. From Hank's. Yeah, well, see, I see. I don't remember any of that stuff. I don't remember any of those details. I've got a, to- I've got a totally
0: different story. It's Go really on, what, what funny. Was yeah, because I've, like, I've obviously told the story, but never when you've been there. Yeah. Um. So the way I remember it, yeah. I do remember being ill on the coach on the way over there. I was really very sick. But you um, <laughs> <We> called you
2: <laughs> ill kid Dave. <don't>? <laughs> did call me
0: ill kid Dave. Amazing. Um, yeah, which leads on to another story in a minute. But, <laughs> um, but yeah. So I remember that there weren't there weren't enough beds for some mad so we met at college for some mad reason we were 16 i think maybe just turning 17 but we were, we were young yeah and um the college was allowing both you and me were the only two with girlfriends and the college allowed us to stay in the same room as our girlfriends which
2: okay so that no that see that was that didn't quite happen they didn't allow us that just happened we just kind of made that happen How did they were supposed that to be happen? staying in different rooms Really, yeah, and, we and,
0: just, and it just happened. Yeah, it just happened. We just brought so yeah. so. Anyway, I remember Morris, our t- our tutor, yeah. um, who like a bit of a mentor for you, really. Yeah, he, like... he messaged me two days ago actually. Morris. Right, see so yeah, that, that. Yeah, we, we knew Morris when we were so. 16. So just as a side
2: note, Morris was a film editor for the BBC. I'd done all this music stuff before college, and and the, and, and the people that I was working with music wise, they said, they said you should go and do something else as well. Because I was DJing loads and I was, I was starting to get into making music, and they said just go and do something else as well, just because the music industry is going to completely fail. And they were all right, because it kind of did. Yeah, this was so, not This would have been ninety nine, I the, guess. Earlier than that, yeah. I was I was with these guys probably ninety six. I was really young, and um, anyway, I ended up going to this college and met Morris, who who was a great teacher, really great teacher, really kind of. Unusual in that he would take us to weird places, and he would teach us weird things, and show us weird films, and really open our minds up to mm. to other things that were out there. And he was with us in Amsterdam. He was one of the, the yeah. teachers that. Yeah, gave there. me
0: a copy of La Haine.
2: Yeah, sixteen-year-old kind
0: of like, like, if anyone hasn't seen La like, just groundbreaking, amazing piece of cinema, just incredible. So the way I remember it is, yeah, that, God, is that Morris went, um, you're, you're going to have to you're going to to have bunk with Paul. And I said, don't put me in a room with him. He looks like a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> and Morris said to me, um, no, you'll like Paul because he does graffiti. And so then I was like sold from that point. I was like, he does graffiti. Because back then you couldn't just go and start painting. You needed to be invited in. You needed yeah. to know someone who painted in order to paint. So I was like, this is my chance. I've seen this stuff out of the train window all of these years. Now's my chance to actually get in and so i like one of the first things i did was show you my sketchbook and you were like oh you should you should uh, paint i'm gonna go and get some paint later and that's so that's how i remember it
2: so the story is kind of the same it's Kind of yeah, the same. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 yeah
0: yeah it's funny it's probably some sort of mix of, of those two
2: so then we, yeah so we, then we sent, spent probably nine years painting and i was doing other things as well you were doing other things and then i think I, maybe i was I, maybe i'd stop djing at that point before we met, or, or
0: well, I mean, this is not the first time that we've been in a room together with microphones, is it?
2: No, well, we did, we did some, we did for a long time. We 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 did like a pirate radio thing, and that, <laughs> and we kept the name Ill Kid Dave for you for that. Yeah, it was I'll Kid Dave the, on the You were the, the... MC. Yeah, yeah. So, Hilarious. so, yeah. I mean, that that, yeah, that happened for a while.
0: Yeah, it was, it was uh, crazy. Just, that was just mad, wasn't it? I think you were, I think you were DJing because that's how you met the guy who got you on the station, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um,
2: Probably, I mean I've DJ'd on and off Yeah For, the, for 25 years mm. I started DJing when I was about 11 As I did my first Sort of Proper gig I opened up for Pat Sharp For your first if, gig For my first gig Yeah yeah Which is um, <laughs> Which is hilarious On the funhouse Yeah yeah It wasn't on the funhouse He, he was doing Because he, he was In like the early night He was a big name that guy You know and, and so they said I was this little kid And they Oh we want to put you on Before Pat Sharp oh, You know Great so I did that, and then and then um, just DJed all over the place for years, and mm. and I've always kind of DJed throughout the last twenty years or whatever, on and off. And then recently, with the film that I've just made, when we're doing the screenings, a lot of the screenings are having after parties, and I'm DJing at the after parties. So it's it's kind of something that's always all those little skills you've learned. Are just yeah, all well, kind that's of it. Together, that's yeah. it. And I think that you know the fingers in pies thing is yeah. is, is it kind of helps because it, it does mean that you can offer other things. You know, you can offer other other. Well, that's another way of earning money as well. You know, it's an, it's another way of making a trip more fulfilling because, I you know, I've just come back from Copenhagen uh, a couple of days ago. We had a screening, we did a Q and A, there's a party, I DJ'd afterwards, mm-hmm. and so it makes more of that trip than. So let's just give some up. let's give some context to that. So the film Library Music
0: has just like kind of just launched a couple of months ago, didn't it?
2: Yeah, so the so the film that is it's called the Library Music Film. It does exactly what it's what it says it's supposed to. It's about library music. What is library music, yeah. Paul? Tell okay. me. So library music <laughs> is the music that is used in the background for films, TV, adverts, radio, jingles, that kind of thing. It's not made for commercial use, so it's it's never sold for people to buy a record of, or it's never you know they they they're never charted because it was never made for that for that use. It was it was made to be a cheaper alternative to commercial music. So you, we focused on a period of of library music from about 1968 to the early 80s, which was the golden era of recording music anyway in, in recording studios. So the, the, the guys that were making this music in that period of time were some of the best composers in the world. They were working with all of the biggest stars at the time. The guys that, that wrote library music were working with Serge Gainsbourg and David Bowie. And, and they, these guys were the backing bands for these people, for these artists, but they were also making library music and they were earning a fantastic living through making this stuff. Now, what this stuff did what this music did was was it was used on as themes and background music for all the programs that we grew up watching and so this music is part of our dna it's it's, it's the soundtrack to our lives yeah. so things like grandstand grange hill wimbledon all of these themes Everything as you say it, you just rings through your head. I mean, you, you <laughs> walk up to anybody in the street and say, how does Grandstand go? Nine out of 10 of them are going to be able to sing you. <laughs> exactly. <right? laughs> but you don't know why that was made or who made that. No. And and that's what the film's about. The film is about these guys that are sort of kind of unsung heroes of not only British music, but, but we went to Rome, we went to, to France, we went to the States and we spoke to all these amazing composers amazing musicians uh, amazing recording engineers went and visited these uh, recording studios uh, across the world that, that recorded this music and we also interviewed a lot of um a lot of hip-hop producers because library music has been used for sampling for loads and loads of i mean the, kind of like a lot of hip-hop is made from library music is that because there, there's not going to be any fees for them no there is fees and and there's a bit of a sort of a fallacy about sampling anyway um, but you you have to pay for all samples but the reason why library music is so perfect for sampling is that it doesn't have vocals or 99% of it doesn't have vocals it's really well recorded and there's loads of drum breaks so there's, there's a lot of library records you get a drum track you get the bass track you get the strings on their own you get the keyboard part on its own so it's instantly you can just grab any record Flick through it, you'll find a sample. Where'd you, where'd you find library music? Well, now it's really easy to find library music. Before it wasn't. So the guys that were sampling in the you know in the nineties, people were sampling for Jay-Z and having hits for Jay-Z. People were sampling, you know, Beyonce's had a big hit with a with a library track. Niles Barkley, half of their album is is made up of library samples. Those guys had to dig. They had to really try and find these records because a library record made in 1970 probably they only made 300 copies. So in the time, from the point where it was made until now, half of those have been destroyed. Half of them are hidden somewhere. So the price of these records are really, really high. And the chances of you finding them is really, really low. So there's a whole community of of record collectors, DJs and producers that are trying to find this music and using it. And so the film is kind of about that. And that's what loving music is, I guess so you crowdfunded uh yeah so we well the film is self-financed because like with everything that i do or most of the things that i do if i don't do it it probably won't happen and if i don't do it by myself you know or with some people that are really interested in this subject nobody's going to give us the money to do this kind of thing mm-hmm. a lot of it was self-financed we did a we did this an- is your second film this is the second, the second feature documentary I've made. So I've made loads of music videos and behind the scenes things, EPKs for bands and record labels. And you've produced videos for us. I've produced videos for you guys. Yeah, kind of weird, odd, strange, kind of urban. So that's a terrible word. To use cause <laughs> it has different connotations now, but yeah. music things. Yeah, lot, lot featurettes. So a lot of kind of things. Well, mostly about music and mostly revolving around the music industry. What was the question? And um, This is your second film. No, so. so this is the second film. Sorry, so the first film I made was about a uh, record producer called Youth, who had worked with some of the biggest names in, in in music, people like Paul McCartney and Pink Floyd and U two and like I mean, look him up. He's
0: yeah. I think another way that you've affected this podcast is when we were first starting, one of our one of our big worries was how we're going to get big guests on the show. And one thing I said to Adam was, well. Paul did his documentary he was an unknown filmmaker and he interviewed Paul McCartney so you've just got to ask people
2: okay so that is the best way to be for me if you don't ask you're not going to get and I think that the way to get people like that is to just slant your stories slightly how differently did, to how everybody did you get else. Paul McCartney so Paul McCartney, we wrote a list. Um, I was working with another guy making this film, and mm-hmm. the, the film was actually supposed to be a ten-minute piece for you know just to kind of create a bit of a buzz yeah. about what we were doing and try and get some more work, some more film work. And so we made a couple of these ten-minute films about record producers and, and them in the studio working with people. And we we met Youth, and we went into his house, and he was really kind of like, well, what, "What do you guys want?" And, you know, he was really kind of standoffish. <laughs> didn't, didn't re- you know, didn't really know what we were about yeah. right? why do you want to come and make a free film about me you know it was kind of a bit weird mm, yeah. and after the first couple of hours of being with him I realised that it wasn't going to be a ten minute film because he was way too interesting and at the end of it he liked us and, and he said to me well, come back next week I've got boy George here so I said alright great So <laughs> we kept, and, and we, we kept going back every other week for about eight months Wow. And we'd, we'd, we'd turn up and there'd be another band because he's, he's studios in his house mm-hmm. and there's loads of different rooms where they record and you just, you'd let yourself in the back door. And one of the assistants would be floating around, and you go, oh, "How are you doing?" "All oh, right, mate." Oh, see you guys again? We've got we've got such and such a, a upstairs, or you know that bloke's in the front room. And so we just go in and we'd start talking to people and filming them. And and while we were doing this, we made a kind of top ten list of who we'd work with, who was the most famous, who was the person that you'd most like to meet, yeah. kind of list. And um, Paul McCartney was at the top. And then there was David Gilmour and then, you know, some others. And uh, Paul
0: McCartney doesn't do interviews, does he? Paul McCartney
2: doesn't do interviews, really, unless he's plugging a new record or something. And and then they really keep that down to a a minimum amount of interviews. So there's an exclusivity thing. But Paul McCartney was at the top of the list. And I I thought, well, I'll go after Paul McCartney. You know, if this film's going to be anything, then... I need to get some people in it that, you know, so that uh, people will watch it, you know, to start with. So I, I found out the, the, the number of a publicist that he's worked, that he had worked with. I don't think he works with him anymore. And just said, look, I'm making this film. It's self-financed. It's about this. Paul McCartney's worked with youth on a couple of albums. Mm-hmm. I know they like each other. Would he be interested in, in doing this? Can you point me in the right direction? And he said, um, he said, give me a call back this afternoon. I thought, oh, uh, you know. So me being me, phoning back. Hey, man, how you doing? I'm just phoning up to yeah. see if uh, you've spoken to anybody. He said, yeah, yeah, I've spoken to his assistant, and he's really into the idea, so she's going to call you. I said, okay, great. And then I thought, no, you know, it's going to be three months before yeah. this person phones me. So I get a call from the assistant saying, yeah, I've spoken to Paul about this, really likes the idea. Can you come next Tuesday? I said, oh, of course, yeah. She said, we'll, we'll send the contract over. And I thought, oh, shit. There's a contract. I'm gonna to have to pay loads of money and you know, yeah. I've got no money to pay. <laughs> yeah. So um, they sent the contract and it it was fine. It just had a few clauses, you know, don't do this, don't do that, you know, whatever. You've got fifteen 15- don't touch Mr. McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> You've got fifteen minutes with him. Cool. Fifteen minutes is all right, you know. So yeah. he went up to the to the office and he came over he was in London for two days or something. So he came over, the lift opened in the office and out comes Paul McCartney. And he goes, all right, lads, how are you going? And there's two of us. And he said, where is everyone? I said, no, oh, it's just us. And he said, oh, thank God for that. I'm used to 20 people being yeah. here when to do an interview. So straight away, he was really comfortable. Yeah. And um, he ended up, and it, you know, that's some of the claws like, don't talk about the Beatles. "Don't talk about-. So I thought, okay, I better stick to these rules within 10 minutes he's talking about the Beatles <laughs> and he's talking about how John Lennon records his vocals or recorded his vocals and then he started making up a song on the spot in front of us and it was like wow this is but you know it was like an, a complete weird yeah. experience I'm sat opposite Paul McCartney interviewing him and uh, 40 minutes later he said alright oh, I've, I've got to go now lads oh, nice one thanks very much and that was that, you know, and it was, and then I thought, well, if we can get to, you know, if I can, in two phone calls, if I can get him, then I can pretty much get to anybody that, you know, and I, and I realized the way to do that is to change the slant and change, you know, get an angle for your story that isn't the same as everybody else. So my thing was, I don't want to talk about the Beatles I don't care about talking about Beatles yeah.
1: because he's probably so bored of talking about the Beatles man he's,
2: he's answered those questions those same yeah. 20 questions for the last 40 years yeah. and he doesn't he, you know he doesn't want to answer those questions anymore but my angle was you did these two really weird strange albums with youth one of them you didn't even have your name on mm-hmm. why and so he's like hang on a minute That's- I really like those records that I made nobody ever asked me about those let's yeah. talk about it it turned out that, that that year that was the only interview he gave in this country I was like, wow, that's crazy, you know. Yeah. And just because you asked. Just because I asked, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I've gone on to do that ever since, and we did this with, with this library music film. You know, it's just, can we get to this person? Let's try. Yes, we can. You know, there's one person, I think, in the, that, that we approached that didn't want to mm. be involved. We we ended up turning people away and saying that we really can't do any more. You know, we I spent three years making this film, the library music film, traveled to five countries, shot about 120 hours of footage, Inter- Quite a few hard drives there. Interviewed like fifty three or fifty four people, so you, there's a point where you say, look, I, you know, this has got to be an hour and a half, two hours. This film it can't be six hours. So how
0: do you how do you self fund? How do you afford to fly to all those countries and do well, all that
2: stuff? You ask a lot of favors from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Again, having the story right is you know, and having your angle is yeah. one way of doing that. So this film has never been made. There's very little about library music on the internet. You search YouTube and a few things come up. But until till our film, nothing really, nothing of importance. And, uh, and, that, and that's not because we're fantastic. It's just that nobody had got to the point where, wow, we should make a film about that. Mm. We just so happened to do it. So how do you, you, you self-finance? Well, you, you, you look in your bank and say, have I got enough money to get the train to wherever I'm, I need to go today? And if you have, then you do it. Because you don't know what's going to come out of doing it. It could be a complete waste of time, but you could meet somebody that's going to give you 20 opportunities over the next 10 years. And it's best, it's best really to just to meet as many people as possible and to do something that's fun and talk to somebody else. Mm. Talk to somebody you haven't spoken to before. And, and especially if it's something like this, library music, I'm really interested in. So why wouldn't I try and get to speak to somebody that, that okay. was there at the time and did it? The second thing is, this is an advert for library music. So my first book of call was was the library houses, which are basically the record labels of library music. Phone them up. Listen, we're making this film, we're gonna use your music, we're gonna interview your composers. Can you help us? And for the most part, they all said, Wow, this sounds great. Nobody's done this before. <laughs> yeah. do. You know? And so so uh, you know, we 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 did a bit of crowdfunding, like you say. So Got, was that Kickstarter. We did an Indiegogo. Right. Mm-hmm. Which which was um before we did it, we didn't know who would be interested in this film apart from us. So we chose Indiegogo because you could set a limit and then take whatever you made. So okay. if you set your limit at 10 grand, you get four. You still get your four grand. Mm-hmm. So we thought, well, at least we'll have something. We'll have some money yes. to start. That's really useful. Um, so we did that. And that's... That's really cool. Doing an Indiegogo thing is really cool because um, I haven't done a Kickstarter, so I don't know how they work. And- how much did you make on the Indiegogo? We did about five grand. What was your target? The target was, I think, 10. Okay. But then we also got some funding from some people outside of Indiegogo. They didn't want to do it through Indiegogo. So we ended up with about six and a half grand and we got some expenses to go to to Paris and to Italy, to Rome. So, yeah, I mean, we did we it did right, but... It's probably the most bonkers thing I've ever done in my life trying to make a feature documentary with three people and no money. Yeah. You've got to be crazy to do it. So I so by all means try and make films dear listener out there. Go go ahead and do it, but it is bonkers. You'll have like the best time and you'll be like thinking how the hell am I going to do this and kicking yourself and you know you'll get to the point like I did where you just want to delete the whole thing mm-hmm. and and not bother <laughs> but it's brilliant it's brilliant I've traveled the world meeting all these incredible composers and musicians and people that I'm fans you know I'm a big fan of these yeah, of yeah. these guys and I'm, I'm a huge fan of their music and so what I got out of making it was better than stressing about you know how much money it's going to cost me to make it and now I'm lucky enough to be able to sort of travel around and Show the film in, in different places and and you know DJ afterwards and people are buying the record and the DVD yeah. and all the rest of it. So and th- and it turns out that there is a, a big following for the film. And um who knew? You know, yeah, we sold. We 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 put a record out an accompanying LP, vinyl only LP that sold out four days before it was released. The DVD's doing okay. It, you know, in a in a world that where nobody has DVD players, yeah. people are still buying DVDs. Yeah, it's it, it's crazy. So, where can people find that online? They can. F- well, they can't stream it online at the yeah. moment. We're still kind of in t- in talks about how and where and what we do with, mm-hmm. with streaming. But you can buy the DVD. Search Bandcamp for the Library Music Film, and all the information is on Facebook. There's a Facebook page which is um, something like facebook.com f- forward slash Library Music Film or the Library Music Film. Yeah. So yeah, but we've again we've not had any promotion really. It's all been word of mouth. Yeah. So there's no website for it. There's no Instagram. There's no there is a Twitter, but we kinda of don't really update it. Yeah. And the Facebook page is there. We we've got about five thousand people on Facebook following the film and the the, the trailer has had about forty thousand views. But it's all been word of mouth. It's there's there's not this huge sort of marketing machine behind us yeah if anyone's listening from Netflix
0: or from Amazon or any of those streaming platforms I think is the perfect it'd be the perfect sort of is one of those documentaries that people are are really going to enjoy even if they know nothing about library music because it does the job of explaining perfectly what it is and then going deep into that into that that genre and then like exposing you to stuff and you're like, Oh, that's that song from there and people recognizing music. And I think, yeah, I think it would be perfect for a Netflix documentary. Yeah. It's
1: the kind of thing everyone can relate to. But they just didn't know it existed, which is fascinating. I think something's been living in the world for so long that everyone knows, but there's, they can't put a name to it.
2: Cause you all know it. Everybody knows yeah. it. And, and it doesn't matter what country you're from. Every country has got their own library music. So there's all these stories and there's all these weird records that we don't know about because we grew up here, but you go to Turkey and they've got this whole scene, you know, it's, it's really, it's surreal, you know, and there's, there's the, the Italians have got the kind of craziest, weird, strange, abrasive music. And, and they grew up listening to that. And so, and the really weird thing is in America, a lot of the, cause they didn't really have library music in America. They had one really big, library but the rest of them are very small Mm. so what they did was they licensed British library music for their programs in the states
0: no way so there's like theme tunes that we know over here that are in then in a completely different context being used by someone else in the states
2: yep the Monday Night Football theme tune in the states in fact most of the music from the Monday Night was was all KPM library so that's all British composers and and musicians and, and all recorded here being used there and and things like The People's Court which is a huge program over there that was composed by a guy called Alan Too from the UK I mean it's just it's mad it's a really it's a fascinating subject and and I, I hope I mean one of the goals was to make this film so that people who I mean you've got to have an interest in music otherwise you know you, you're you going to be disappointed watching a music documentary for nearly two hours but if you have any kind of interest in music you'll like the film I think because it does. The goal was let's make this film so that the nerds are happy, you know, we're happy, and people that may have heard Wimbledon can go, wow, that, that, that's yeah. how that happened. You know, that's what that's about. And you met some mad characters specifically for library music. Yeah, met some crazy people. I mean, some.
0: other like guy who was living with his mum in. Uh...
2: Oh man, no! But he's not. I mean, he's like what, that. He's wonderful. That guy. There's a. There's i I'm DJ. not saying that in a bad no no, way. no, 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 But, <laughs> but I mean, he's he, he's he's so incredible. That guy. He's, he's a record collector and a DJ called uh, called Johnny Basil, and uh, DJ Johnny Basil. And before we went, uh, Sean Lee, who I made the film with, he said, "Oh, man, and he's American." He said, "Oh man, there's this there's this dude. I met him before." and there's a guy called Basil man and he's got like the most amazing record collection in his mum's house and I was like oh okay you know we've already got this jam packed week in LA where we're, we're filming with loads of people we really haven't got the time but he's, oh man on the way down to San Diego we're we dropping a... okay man we're, we're going to see this guy so I looked him up on Instagram every single picture he's got no top on it's just he's a bare chest and and this long hair he looks like Iggy Pop <laughs> and I said wait well, he, he lives with his mum he said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah." So I said, "Well, okay. Well, if it's going to take a couple of hours, might, might as well go there." This guy is incredible. We walked into his house, and he's, he, his his mum's there, and uh, he takes us upstairs. Oh, this is my mum's room. It's my roommates' room. This is my room for my vintage porn collection. <laughs> this is this is my record. This is my record room, and this is my room, you know. And is and we sort of we went upstairs, and it was just it, an amazing afternoon with this guy who who was collecting. Not only library records, but but some of this rare stuff that that people are now cottoning onto. He was he was collecting it in the eighties, before anyone before any of this was thought of. He was doing it, and uh, he was just a a really amazing guy. In fact, just just for fun on Instagram, you should follow him because the pictures he he publicity shots he has for his DJ nights are amazing. His name's DJ Johnny Basil. Or Basil, if you're, you know, from the UK, but, but yeah. It felt like the plant. Johnny Basil. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He's incredible. He's a really, really great DJ, really, really fun guy and um, an amazing record collection, amazing record collector. He seems to find these things that nobody else has found and he has these really, really expensive, rare, rare records. But there's a million characters like that. You know, there's a million characters that, that are really interesting and, and fun and and, uh, and should be in films there's definitely scope and room to make films about these people what would you say to your younger self don't waste time I wasted loads of time and I think I, I wasted lots of time thinking that I should do things that, that I really didn't need to do how, how did you waste your time I think I wasted time holding on to things a little bit too much I held on to, to painting graffiti for a long time mm-hmm. when, when really I'd, I'd come to the end of what I should have been doing with graffiti I wasted time trying to get a job and security and Mm -hmm. a pension and all that stuff Um, maybe when I'm 65, 70 I'll wish I had a pension but I wasted time I don't remember that that phase did you go and get like a proper job well I was teaching so they gave me they gave me a uh, or I signed up for this pension while I was teaching and and that was just like a, a really stupid thing for me to do for me you know, security, you know, financial security and pensions and things are really important for for a lot of people. And, and I think that it's very wise to do that and to have those things. But for me, it just wasn't right. And I was, I wasn't in the right, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't realize that I could do it. I mean, when you were teaching, we were still running down railway
0: lines at night. So you weren't you definitely weren't fully in that headspace of I need to be no, a grown up. No,
2: and, and I also, I also was, I was teaching for the most part, I was teaching kids that didn't want to be there. You know, they, they'd gone on a course because it was further education and they'd gone on a course where the, the local or the schools, uh, what do you call them? Um, careers advice type of person had yeah. said, well, what do you like? And I'm, oh, I like music. I like films. Oh, go and do a film course, do a music course. But actually they hadn't thought, I don't really I don't really want to do that I don't want to spend all week learning about films learning how to make films or learning what microphones are right for the particular instrument that I need to record you know they weren't interested in that and they thought that the course would just be a good way of shirking a job you know really I mean I know it sounds terrible to Mm. say that but you know out of the, the 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 classes that I taught for I mean I did that I never did it full time I did it always part time but over the years, it changed. I, I did four days a week. I did three days a week. I did two days. You know, it, it really depended on what, on what they could offer me. But really, out of all of the classes that I taught, maybe five or six people have come out of those and gone on to work in that field. One, it's a hard field to get into. Film is really difficult to get into. Music's probably harder to get into. So I understand why a lot of those people will never work in those industries. However... They could have they, these kids that didn't end up going into those industries could have found a course that they did enjoy and that they did want to do. And I think um, I think they they wasted their time. I wasted my time trying to teach them, and I and I became more and more annoyed every day that I went in to teach. So I should have packed that in earlier. But how do you recognise that you're wasting time? That's the hardest thing, isn't it? Well, you, you fall into the trap, I think, of of doing a job that you don't like because it's paying a salary you know and I knew that if I did two and a half days a week teaching I've got two and a half days to work in my studio and that if I didn't earn any money that week in the studio those two and a half days that I had teaching would pay for that I knew I was wasting my time but I was comfortable enough earning what I was earning in order for me to just float about and you know experiment with things you know I was making weird music and strange you know oh this. Let's record this album with one mic in this room, and you've got to do four overdubs at a time. You know, like really weird concepts that were really fulfilling, but didn't really sell any any records, and and so therefore the royalties were really low. Mm-hmm. So I was relying re- relying on that that two and a half days teaching. Really, what I should have done is is say, well, look, I don't want to be here. The kids don't want to be here. I'm out of here. I'll go and you know do what I want to do, mm-hmm. and I could have done that four years earlier five years earlier so do you think you just lacked a bit of a plan you just kind of went yeah, behind it I kind of like the idea of not I still don't have a plan yeah you know I've got a, shit that was my last question what's I don't, your, I what's don't your plan, a plan. <laughs> I, don't have, I, don't, I mean well I've got lots of plans in that I know that I'm making uh, I've got three records that I'm making currently I've got two records that are going to be released in the next three months three or four months mm. I've got at least six months of promoting the film which means going to screenings and doing all that kind of stuff and doing weird interviews with, with people that overdub my voice on forum radio, which is really <laughs> odd. And then I've got another little project that I've, that I'm, that I've just started this week. It's a book. So I'm working on a book with, 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 with somebody. And so I'm going off this, uh, this evening to, to get going on that.
1: There's anything about it or is it kind of hush at the moment?
2: It's a book about musicians and studios. So, um, yeah, everybody that I know music works primarily from their own studios and they all have weird, strange equipment and kind of in weird spaces and strange, you know, and they do, and they're all, they're all eking out a living doing what they want to do, making music. And it's about, it's kind of about that, I guess. Um, so it's another one of these weird things where we're going to sort of travel about and meet all these interesting people that, that we even, well, a lot of them we already know. And we know what they do and, and and why they do it, but they've all there's a, a theme throughout. The all of these people have specific bits of gear that they use, so that's quite an interesting kind of yeah. People premise are, that
0: people are fascinated by our other other artists' process, aren't they? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That's I mean, one of the reasons why this podcast has been so successful
2: is because people want to hear those stories of how of how our guests do their artwork. Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, and I think and I think for me it's an important thing for me to do because I've had three years of making a film so I'm kind of a bit burnt from, from doing yeah. that and I'm a bit tired of film mm-hmm. so I, you know, no doubt at some point I'll go back and do it but I've reached that point where what's the next thing? So, I, you know, I, music, I'll always be making records, I'm always making records, I'm always playing on records and gigging and doing all sorts of stuff like that but something I've never done is is make a book. So, That seems like the reason to make a book. I've never done it, so let's do it. So the plan is, have no plan. It's cool to have responsibilities, and I have. But if I don't do what I feel I need to do creatively, then I might as well just get a job. You know, I might as well go and work for somebody else, which is not going to happen. I think I'm too old to do that now as well. I don't think anyone's going to employ me. The safest way to not have a plan is to
0: be planting the flags wherever you go so that new opportunities keep presenting themselves because then you don't need to have a plan because you just roll with, this is the next opportunity because if you hadn't have made the first film, you wouldn't have made the second film. If you hadn't been going around promoting the second film, then you might not have got the book. You know, it's everything. Well, the, the, the funny thing is, right,
2: the first film, Paul McCartney did this, made this song up on the spot. Yeah. So I had this idea, oh, let's get let's get Paul McCartney, this this song, let's get this little bit and let's get somebody to play Paul McCartney in the film. Oh, we, can, yeah. we can't get Paul McCartney to play the bass and then the drums and then the... So I, I, I thought I'll, I'll get my, my friend Sean Lee to... to to play all the parts, you know. So, so Paul McCartney sings this bass line So I, I then got Sean to play the bass line and then we built this track up. So this track exists. That this thing that Paul McCartney just came up with on the spot and just yeah. and just, you know, that was it. He's forgotten about it. Have you sent it to him? He, yeah, he's seen it. he Loves it. Yeah, Amazing. yeah. So Sean made this thing, and while we're filming this, he said, he said, ah, oh, you know, Library Music, man. I said, yeah. He said, I really wanted to make a film about that for you, and I said, oh, well, you know let's get on with this now and then I ended up going to do a job for you guys up north and I was in a travel lodge on my own for two days and I was like man this is so boring I'm on my own in the middle of nowhere and I got on my phone and I was I was like researching library music I I knew about library music right now you know this is a goer this film nobody's made this film so so I ended up doing it with Sean so like you say the opportunities are there you've just got to Strike, you know, just just keep a note of what's going on and and, mm. and have the drive to to go for it. There was one other thing going back to your your last question about what was your last question? Not the plan one, the one before that. I don't fucking know. <laughs> there was something you said, and I just remembered what I was going to tell you. Oh yeah, okay. So the other thing, mistakes or something we were talking about. Yeah. And I said wasting time. Right, my thing is fingers and pies. So try and do as many things as possible, and and try and you know kind of do this and do that, and then move on to that, and blah blah blah. But spreading yourself too thin is also a disaster, Mm -hmm. and I've done that. Something you've done. I've done that, man. I do that all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm really good. I'm really good at coming up with ideas, and I'm really good at being motivated and driven. But you've got to kind of know where to draw the line and how much you can actually do. And I think I put a lot of pressure on myself to do things and get things completed. I never start something that I can't finish, and even if it's rubbish. You know, I'll make, I'll make a song and I, I, you know, I'll I'll be working on it and thinking, does this sound like, you know, and I'll wait after, I'll finish and I'll wait a couple of days and listen back to it. And then if it's not right, it's not right. But at least I got to the finish point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with this film, you know, I got to the finish point and it's out there. If nobody watches it, it doesn't matter. It's done, you know, and I can't at the end of, you know, when I'm on my deathbed and I'm looking back and thinking, well, you know, I really should have made that film. You know, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say, well, I made that and I did this and everything is complete. Whether or not people like it is another story. Whether or not I'm successful, the only way you can gauge success, I think, is is to see whether or not you're happy. And whether or not you've done something and achieved something that you wanted to achieve. If nobody else likes it, fuck it, who cares? But it's done. You know, Even if you don't like it, fuck it, who cares? You've done it. You've gone out of your comfort zone and you've pushed yourself and you've got something at the end of it. If people like it, it's a bonus, but... There you go.
0: Perfect. Um, So your dad was obviously a big figure for you um, in terms of getting you into music.
2: So the, the thing about my dad is that it's quite a funny situation. My dad's a musician, he's a drummer, and he's been playing since he was 12. His first gigs were... Were, were really early on, and and in the in the late seventies, he he, his band got a record deal, and they um they they did a world tour, and he lived in in L.A. and and he kind of lived this rock star life, and ended up hiring the record label millions, and I mean it was like he had a crazy crazy life, and he always said to me get a proper job, he always said to me get a pension, no way. He, yeah, because he he never had that, and he always he I, there's a story about my dad which which he may or may not be happy about me telling, but he went on this. On this world tour, his band was supporting this really, really huge band, and they ended up doing like four nights sellout at Wembley. And, uh, and then subsequently, he went and lived in, in LA. And he came back after about 18 months from being on this tour, living this life. And my uncle said to him, Wow, you know, what a great experience! You know, and, uh, you've done really well, and, and you've got a few Bob in the bank now, right? And my dad said, Well, I've got this white suit I'm wearing. And that was it. You know, he'd spent all this time living the life, you know, drugs, sex, rock and roll, the whole thing, that whole kind of like cliche thing, he did that. So for me, he was like, man, you're teaching, teach, do it, get a pension. You know, get a steady job, do the, you know, do the real thing, you know. What does he think about what you're doing now? Oh, he loves it. He absolutely loves it, you know, and he's come to see the film and, you know, he's always, anytime a record comes out, that you know, he always wants a copy of the record and he loves it. And he knows that it's, it's it's in the blood, you know what I mean? There's, yeah. there's definitely that side of the family, pretty much all in music or film or this is the same for me saying? like
0: my mum bless her like my mum would get so angry about when she'd drive specifically when she'd drive down the motorway and see things that you and me have painted on the way to Brighton and she'd lose her mind and then when I went to her and said I'm going to do graffiti for a living she was kind of a little bit reluctant like I don't think that is a career choice I don't think that's a job you've been talking about teaching because I, I was thinking about being a primary I school remember. teacher I remember. And, and she was totally pushing me down that avenue but yeah she was she was totally like that's not a proper job you you need to you like teaching I think that generation like they and it's it's such an interesting thing with your dad having done that that have had that alternative artist lifestyle but for our for our parents there really seems to be they grew up with this is how you make money this is how you live your life and they love us, so they don't want to see us go and mess everything up. They don't realize how the world is now, and that we can, I can do graffiti for a living, which is yeah.
2: ridiculous. But I, I, th- I think the other thing with with that is that that's just worrying for your kids. And 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 now I've kind of got that. I mean, my baby's he's not even a year, but I, I never want him to paint graffiti. Well, yeah. You know, I never want him to do that kind of thing. I'm not going to stop him because I, you know, if, if you stop him, he's only going to want to go and do it but there's definitely this kind of thing where i would prefer him to do something that has definitely got security i'd like it to be creative because i think he'll get more out of life if he does something creatively but he might not be creative you know he might want to be a solicitor and that's fine but i think the I think the thing, and he might want to do that nine to five thing, and you know, and that, and, again, it's and happiness. Again, isn't it? that's fine. But as long, yeah, as long as he's happy, and and I think that's the that's the main takeaway from all of the conversations about jobs and life and everything that 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 you do throughout your life is just try and be happy. Try, and, you know, it do, doesn't matter what it is. It's that stamp collecting thing. If that makes you happy, then that's fine. Not that I know anything about stamp collecting, and I'm sure you don't either, no. but if that's something that makes you happy then then great there's, there's a little there's a little shop near where I live and I walk past it every day I go from the station I walk past the little shop and it's like a, a game shop they sell games and they do and I, I'm sure the guy doesn't earn any money from selling games because the games that are the board games that are in the window are, are, are completely discoloured yeah, where they've been <laughs> in there, been there so forever. long yeah. but probably three times a week there's a group of dudes in there and they're all sitting around a table playing games and he's obviously got the shop because it's this little community of of people that like board games yeah so he's got to be happy you know he's got to be he's with his mates all week long and they're you know it's like a harmless nice fun thing to do for them so I think that's great they're probably less stressed than most people that are doing 9 to 5s that are on the tube crammed in like sardines on that note thanks so much cheers
0: thanks for listening we're trying to help a lot of people with this show so we need your help to grow the community and spread our message if you know someone who'd benefit from hearing what we talked about today or they just need a little nudge in the right direction pass this podcast on to them if you want to hear more then subscribe to us on itunes and if we helped you with anything we'll really love you forever if you can leave us an itunes review it makes a huge difference see ya